Edwards and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation jam-packed with golden nuggets from Andrew Butto of Earth to Mars. Our topic of conversation is leading successful change and it covers so many aspects of change ranging from inclusion through to the role of technology. Our conversation begins with Andrew sharing how his growing up in South Africa shaped his whole philosophy on change. And a warning, if you don't like space-related puns, cover your ears. Enjoy. In 2019, I was speaking at an event on uh, leading transformation with the brain in mind. And when I mentioned the Blue Origin Space Project from Jeff Bezos, I noticed a particularly enthusiastic response from a certain audience member. Afterwards, when we exchanged business cards, that's that's when the penny dropped. Uh, the company was called Earth to Mars. No wonder Andrew Butto was animated. Since then, our paths have continued to cross. I've studied with Andrew and co-founder Hugo, and I've been trying to get Andrew as a podcast guest for months, and now the time has come. So as co-founder of Earth to Mars, a highly successful boutique change management consultancy, Andrew is one of the most passionate people I have ever met when it comes to leading change that is human-centered, inclusive, and dynamic. And that's the topic of our podcast today, leading successful change, and one that is critical for, shall we dare to say, post-pandemic, well, and certainly 21st century leadership. Andrew, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Oh, thanks so much, Claire. It's really good to be here. Thanks for grabbing me from outer space and uh, grounding me in Earth so we can do this amazing podcast together. I I feel that this is just the beginning of many space puns to come. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do it then. <laughs> I'm all about the space puns and you know how much I love a good metaphor. <laughs> Absolutely. So actually, be, before we do delve into our chosen topic of leading successful change, I'm sure that, that many of the listeners is, are as curious as I was as to how Hugh and Hugo chose the name Earth to Mars for a change management <laughs> consultancy, and you no, know, we can't avoid this. The uh, can't avoid the space related puns. So come on, tell us about your mission. Oh, I love it. Well, um, I I loved connecting with you initially when uh, you taught me how everybody's changing into this new age of hyper connection and um, Earth to Mars. I I feel like we needed a name that really encapsulated what good change leadership is about in this new day and age. And, um, I, you know, being in the change space for quite some time now, I think I've always marveled at how transformation, whether that's personal, professional, or within an organization, can often feel a bit like an alien experience, right? So as human as we are, taking us out of the status quo and leaving the safety and comforts behind to go into this bold unknown of change, Uh, can often be an out-of-body experience. There's another space pun. So um, we sort of figured out that, you know, one, what's really important in successful change for us is having that big, hairy mission. 
as big as Elon Musk, for example, and one of my many mentors, um, he said to me that the bigger your vision, the easier it is to execute. And we thought, well, what's a mission out there that is so big, but is getting such good rallying and support? And obviously, we were inspired by Elon and his big journey to Mars. I believe Jeff has beat us to get to space. So we're a little bit upset about that. So I'm glad you rubbed that in. But it's a really unifying mission. And um, having clarity around a vision for change is just as important as your ability to lead and execute that change. Yeah. So that's the Mars part. But then what we thought is, you know, in this time of hyperconnection, technology, digital engagement, Really what makes us stand out as leaders like yourself in the change and, and human space is bringing the best of humanity. And even the likes of Elon Musk, uh, a, a great leader like that, is really focusing on building teams that are more human as opposed yeah. to having your traditional old school, um, highly qualified person. In fact, he builds teams that go to space around the best of what humanity has to offer. And that's the earth part. And I guess space becomes a little bit of a symbol is, you know, we, we need to accept and embrace where we are today and also the people around us on earth. Uh, we need to have this amazing vision to take us forward. And really what Earth to Mars does is bridges the gap between Earth and Mars by supporting people through that discomfort and ambiguity of space. So Earth represents the humanity. Space yeah. is the uncertainty and, and I, I guess, um, blank card or open space that comes with any transformation. And Mars is having a big, hairy, amazing and inspiring goal mm. uh, to do that. And that's literally what we do is uh, we get people from their current state into the future state and help them navigate through the space of change wow. uh, to get maximum results. Okay. So, so let me ask you a question around a lot of the organizations that you work with. What what percentage of them would you say before before you engage with them, or when you when you engage with them at the earliest point in time? What percentage of them already have that that super clear vision, or or is that a lot of what you do when you go into an organization is to help them to form that vision so that they know that they need to change? Maybe they're really good on the sort of practicality and the logistics. I'm just really curious as to what 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 percentage bring you in and they're super clear on their vision already? Hmm. Um, it's a very good question. And, and often there are a lot of companies out there that are super clear on the outcomes they want or the problems they're trying to fix. But we help companies take that a little bit further and really create the narrative around that story, mm -hmm. really link it into real and meaningful ways of um, of going through and change, as opposed to having purely commercial objectives or KPIs. Mm. Um, and what we're finding is percentage-wise, I mean, it's a really good question. I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to go back and get Hugo to do the maths on that. Um, mm -hmm. He's across all that detail. But whilst there's a lot of visions, the question is, well, how meaningful that is that to your people and to yeah. your customers more specifically? And often that's the space we help clients bridge as well, um, or at least ask them questions so they're not just thinking about change purely as financial or mm. technological or purely around a culture. And we, 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 we help them link it so that it is a full body experience going through that change. Yeah, and, and I think that's what certainly what stood out for me and in my conversations with you, in, in my study with you, is this absolute passion about around human-centered change, about putting putting people 
at the center of everything and, and your passion and your focus on inclusion. And I'm curious as to dig a little deeper as to what are the what were the drivers for that? What in your own experience of your mm. life has led you to be so passionate about that human-centered change? Oh, wow, I've got, I've got goosebumps as you ask me that question because it's it's one very, very close to my heart. Uh, for the very keen listeners, um, I'm sure people have detected a bit of an accent and um, that's because I actually grew up in South Africa and I spent the first 30 years of my life living, working, playing, um, doing all the things um, as a South African. And obviously that's where inclusion and diversity became a very, very key topic, not just for the workforce, not just for the big rainbow nation that South Africa has become, but also for me personally, as I found myself and, and, and my place in this big, bold world with so much diversity. And I really got passionate about it. But what I did find is when I got into business, you know, a lot of the traditional approaches to consulting and change were very much centered around filling out a spreadsheet or pulling out a cookie cutter and uh, putting a nice PowerPoint together and telling people the benefits of change and why to change. And very little was being done in the space around, well, how do we include people in that conversation? How do we truly um, create rich discussion and dialogue, good buy-in, lots of different ideas, and work with people in the change to take them through that space jump into their future change. So um, I got very passionate about it, and I started getting fed up of these very hierarchical top-down leadership styles. And especially when I heard you present and I met you, um, I, 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 the, the penny dropped for me as well when I realized, wow, you know, we really are in a different age for leadership. Hmm. where it's no longer about title of the information age or how much knowledge you have as an organization like we did in the information age, hmm. but very much about how we facilitate ideation with one of our core strengths, which are our people. And as we see more robotics, artificial intelligence, um, whether that's soft bots, hard bots, and obviously automation is a big one at a lot of our clients. The true differentiator in this day and age is human centricity and bringing yeah. that creativity to the table. So we're really passionate and, and in our experience with clients that successfully roll out change have included people, not at the end, but throughout the entire journey of ideating change, rolling out change, and even measuring those benefits of change. So that's, that's the passion yeah. that, that we bring to the table and is very important, not just for us, but for leaders really wanting to lead change in this brave new world. And and just listening to that, Andrew, I mean, oh, here comes another pun. It's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, so I, if I were to um, take the position of, of, of someone who, who's new, potentially ignorant, why why wouldn't that be a no brainer? Why why would why would anyone embark on? A change initiative, just in your opinion, I'm just just keen on your opinion and your experience. Mm. Without putting people at the centre, what what what's going on in their minds with the drivers? I'm curious. Um, I I think we're going through not just a big change locally in Australia, but also globally in the world when it comes to leading. 
And uh, you and I have many conversations about yeah. this. And um, you, even on our course, we refer to the work of Jeremy Haymans, where he speaks about this huge paradigm shift that leaders currently are embarking. Mm. We've got these old powers and structures of the old world that were very much about, like we said, hierarchy, yeah. um, hoarding information. Yet, I think one of the biggest drivers, which is an enabler and an inhibitor, depending on your perception of technology, is very much the democratization of tech. Yeah. And it's become more cheap, affordable, pervasive, and we're able to share knowledge, information, opinions a lot easier than we were before the days of social media. So it brings up a huge challenge for those who are comfortable with new power models that are transparent, that are creative, that are um, co-creative in a sense, where you uh, create rich discussions, have a community that works together to do something, then it's not rocket science. And I think yeah. a lot of us who've come from a newer generation of leadership. It, it, it's the nature of how we socialize. It's the nature of how we play. And it's also the nature now of how we invest quite transparently and collectively. Whereas I think there's still a lot of people that have fear of stepping into this new world. And mm. I think that's the biggest inhibitor. If I actually peel back the rings of Saturn, there's another one for you. <laughs> and we get down to the core planet of what's going on there. I think it's a fear of losing face or failing or being perceived maybe as weak because these were the values of those old power models. It was very much about having all the answers as a leader, uh, knowing everything and uh, being in that power of almost invincibility. Whereas now what is really influencing people is that vulnerability, is that human side. And I'm not saying that the numbers are important or that um, business operational metrics aren't. They are, but I think we're starting to realize that they operate not in a silo, but in conjunction with other measures, like your staff, like your customers, like the well-being of the community in which your mm. business operates. So one, I think the biggest inhibitor is actually fear, which for me just stands for false evidence appearing real. Yeah. Um, and a really good story I have around that is um, I was at the Singularity University a, a year or two ago. Um, and, um, you know, there were a lot of leaders playing with a lot of this new power technology like virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is at that virtual reality um, center where they were demonstrating it to executives, they had almost like these little cubicles. Like, you know, when you go to um, a shopping mall and you try on clothes and you close up the little cubicle so you can yeah. try on your clothes and there's a mirror. And they had that at a, v a virtual reality stand. And when I asked them, well, what is that for? What's the issue? They said because the buyers and the influencers of, um, you know, big technology change really don't like being exposed by putting on virtual reality, by actually doing this and having other people look at them and, and, and losing face. So what I'm starting to realize, I think the biggest inhibitor is this fear of, of losing face and stepping into this new world. Yeah. And the leaders that are getting this right, we are seeing are 100% committed to not just yeah. the change and the mission and the vision, but very much the people. Because yeah. people now are getting information from outside organizations, inside organizations. They're talking directly to your customers and vice versa. Yeah. So we really need to include people in that equation. 
And yeah, I guess, I guess too, the other ones are the, the leaders that are truly stepping into the space of vulnerability, where they don't feel this false need of having to have all the answers. Yeah. We are in complicated times. I think everyone who's listening now can agree to that, um, especially coming from a BC before COVID world into this <laughs> post-pandemic normalization that we're yeah. going through. So business is complex, but so are our global interactions and how mm. we connect. So... Um, very important for us to step into this new power of vulnerability and being okay with not being okay and not having all the answers. And that's really where we like to help and empower leaders. Wow. Okay. So you, I've just got so many questions coming up from what you've just said there. Um, there's one that I'll park for a second around adaptability in in this post-pandemic world. But I'm really curious because I, I know from working with you, um, how much you embrace tech and how you've, um, for want of a better word, I know nobody likes the word pivot, but the way that you pivoted and you're delivering everything online, but you do, you really do em embrace all that emerging technology has to offer. So I suppose my, my question is around finding that balance and marrying that, um, you know, there's a perception of tech replacing people, but when it comes to leading successful change, what are, what are your success, success stories around embracing tech and keeping people engaged? Oh, it's, it, it's, it's been incredible. And I, and I think there's a lot of different perceptions, but I, I think this is one of the most exciting times to actually be alive, but also be involved in change, whether you're a leader, you're a change professional, whether you're a learning and development person, project manager, whatever your role might be. I think technology has given us a, not just a sense of connection, but a sense of transparency of what's really going on in people's minds. And I think we need to dispel a lot of these fears around tech as replacing because technology has always enhanced things. Yes, it has changed jobs. It's changed the nature of the way we've worked. It's changed a lot of things, but ultimately it's also empowered us to be more creative, to come up with better ideas and to do work and, and meaningful things we could never do before. I mean, I look at how we handled the pandemic as an entire species and not just locally. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing how technology enabled this and how leaders use technology, but also real narratives in partnership with technology to drive incredible changes and, and well-being for our species as a whole. So success stories for me, I'm, I mean, there's so many to talk through. But for us personally, I think the biggest success has been with our own company, actually, because we've always been a company that's wanted to work in the remote isolation of space one day. So we've embraced technology, um, you know, as a new school company from a very young age. But the tech has always been there, funny enough. And and I think the pandemics allowed us to play more and expose it more. But it's been there. I mean, if we when we run global change programs or transformation programs, We've had to work in this new space of, uh, you know, hybrid, but also virtually. And um, what we've done is made sure we embrace the tech, but not think that the tech replaces the people aspect. And, um, you know, if we look at the, the social market right now, I mean, one of, one of the biggest uh, digital engagements is actually Fortnite. In the, in the gaming world. And, you know, we all look at Facebook now coming in with the metaverse and, and, and we think, wow, what is this whole sort of world we're going into digitally? 
But the reality is Facebook's only number three, four, or five. And, and the biggest one's actually Fortnite, where they wow. can have a concert. I, I, I think I just saw an advert for a Justin Bieber concert in the Fortnite world. And I think already a million tickets have been sold. So it's a real opportunity to engage in new and exciting ways and to work with people in different countries, get different perspectives. But more importantly, what I love about tech, what it's done for our company is one, it's allowed us to create a global team. Number two, it's allowed us to work with global clients and and really find the right people for the right job. And number three, it's taken away all the boring, mundane and repetitive tasks of what we used to do in change. like, like recording notes and, and filling out spreadsheets and templates. And what we really focus on now is the human aspect. So we see this as a trend going forward, that to be successful in change, we, we're in a good position here as technology takes over the boring, the mundane, the repetitive. Yeah. This enables us to do what change was really meant to do in the first place, is to help people to support people and enable that. And that's something I don't see a robot or technology doing because there's nothing like the human touch. In fact, I think people are more hungry than ever for that human touch. And for us, whether it's done digitally, face-to-face, it's all dependent on on, on, on the how and, and how we focus it around the human. So for us... Um, we, we've had excellent successes in the last two years, in spite and despite of the pandemic. But what it's mm. allowed us to do is push ourselves further into this new world of um, technology. And I think it's not going to stop. Um, you know, yeah. with, with all this investment now in Metaverse from one of the big players like Facebook, I think we're going to see a lot more done in this space. And um, it's really, really exciting. Wow. Okay, so the message I'm getting, it's about embracing, not replacing. Embracing, not replacing. And, and I think we, we shouldn't see it as a threat. I think if we embrace the tech, we can let our humanity then shine. Because, um, you know, change management of the past was very much all about that, being a technical expert, um, yeah. having your technical slides perfect, having a great strategy. Whereas now, all of that is done by ideating using collaborative tech for us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously the successes we are seeing with our clients, this is what we want to bring to the market and for leaders out there to to help them lead in very real human ways. So, yeah, I, I loved your pun there, the, the embracing, not replacing. I, I think it's, uh, it's we're entering a time of a great realignment here. Would you agree? It it is it, it's hugely exciting and and actually at the same time which is a bit of a contrasting question I'm curious as to what your experience is because when we talk about the past two years past twenty months or what have you we're acutely aware that 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 as humans we, you know we've we've demonstrated this adaptability to change I mean we've been we've we've adapted hugely to change and I'm curious about you know when we're coming to the towards the end of the year so it's it's November as we're having this conversation um that i'm seeing signs of of change weariness in people of a sort of you know they were they were productive because they needed to be they were running on adrenaline it was it was crisis oriented as as lead people who are leading successful change your role or in your client's role you've got to keep people motivated engaged productive and energetic in the whole change process what are you seeing or experiencing or what have you learned from these past 20 months, Andrew, in, in, within that context? Thank you for the question. It's so insightful. Um, 
And and I agree with you. I think the last two years have almost been like the best case study for real change in this mm. new age. And, you know, whereas the past models of change were all theoretical and yeah. traditional and hypothetical, I think now we have something as a species to actually look back on and reflect on how we actually go through change. And one of the key mm. lessons for me is, yes, I agree with you. People are quick to adapt to change. But it's only if there's enough meaning and impetus to do so. And I think this is where a lot of executives get this right, but a lot of executives get it wrong, where they assume just because I tell you to change, you will change. And we saw this in Australia quite prominently is, you know, we had our federal government release all these clever plans to get our vaccination rolling out and get us through this pandemic. And we saw an equal and opposite reaction from people in states. Um, in South Africa, we call it toy toy, but it's it's protesting toy-toy. in Australia. Yeah, toy toying is where you dance and shout and resist. And I, I think it's so wonderful to call out that resistance. So for me, the key is yes, we are brilliant at change when given enough meaning around the change. So when yeah. they reframe those stories into health, safety of your loved ones, doing the right thing. And uh, we created a good impetus to do it. People moved very, very quickly. Uh, Something we've learned to embrace, and I think which is going to become very prevalent from now onwards, is we've learned to embrace that resistance. Because I think previously, before this pandemic, we would see resistance as probably failure of the change or something to be avoided. And a lot of traditional models looked at it that way. So I think the way we used to measure change has changed significantly from, you know, minimizing resistance to now creating more meaning, engagement, and impotence to achieve those results. So I just think as change receivers, we've become a little bit more intelligent. <laughs> and as I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you. And I I remember I, I specifically asked that question when I was on your change diagnostics yes. course around resistance. And we both had exactly the same answer that let's welcome it, let's embrace it, because you can't meet resistance with resistance. Well, exactly. So for me, I love that you've said that. We can't meet resistance with resistance. So for us, resistance is not a negative thing. It's feedback. And we like to look at it as an invitation to have a meaningful conversation. Yeah. If people are resisting, they feel safe enough to tell you. And I, and I do think we as change receivers are a lot more savvy. We can connect with our organization. We can talk to friends who are working in different places, different countries. So I think the issue is we've done a lot of change before the pandemic for the sake of change. And I'm really happy that we're thinking about change a bit more critically. And we're yeah. looking at it as, well, we can't just change for the sake of changing and do lots of it. Let's be very critical. And it's putting a lot of pressure on leaders and executives that we are working with to fully think through the change, think about the systemic impact as well as the ecology and how that lands, not just with their people, but with the outside community. Because social media and the transparency of modern communications is holding us all to account. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's about embracing that uncertainty, being vulnerable enough not to feel like you need all those answers and including people in that process is becoming so so key because there are there are much more savvier consumer of change than there were before this pandemic 
you know, that's such a good point. And, and, and coming back to what you were saying about um, meaning and impetus, I, I, I remember what changed. So for, for those uh, listening outside of Australia, um, the, the premier of uh, New South Wales, uh, every day she'd, she'd come and she'd report in a rote fashion exactly the same thing every day, you know, how many cases, uh, how many people had passed, blah, 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 blah. And, and it was just having absolutely no impact whatsoever. And then, you know, someone, someone the equivalent to an Andrew must have consulted with them. <laughs> and, and when they changed and they started to bring on people who were working in ICU, they were bringing in Bingo. ambulance workers. And, and then you could see our vaccination rates increasing. And I'm not being political. It's a, I don't have an opinion on vaccination uh, per se, but it was about when she started to bring, well, what actually does does it mean to people? How does it impact me? How do we bring that personal narrative in that we started to see change? So I'm curious in, in terms of when you're working with clients and, and when you're working with um, when you're working with the executive, do, are they are they aware of the meaning? Do you have to extract the meaning? Do you do you elicit the meaning from uh, focus groups? How, how do you work with meaning? Because it's such a critical part mm. of human-centered design. I, I think it's important. So the executives that we work with, I, I think the ones that are acutely aware of the silo of thinking, whilst executives are great, it's really important to have that view. I think really meaning is contextual. So, mm. you know, if we only focus on the meaning from a board perspective, we're really going to be designing a change and leading a change around the shareholders. Yet if we really want to inspire people, and your example of uh, what happened in New South Wales is a perfect one, what they did is they went into all the different communities within Sydney. And they really understood and spoke to the leaders and the informal influences in those communities first to understand, one, what the resistance was about, but two, what was meaningful to them. And in doing that, they were able to propose something better. And I, I think the same thing goes for leaders who want to lead change in this new age. It's really mm -hmm. about seeing resistance as engagement and not something yeah. to avoid or consider a failure, but to actually, as an invitation to have real talk. We've got an incredible vision partner in America, and she talks about this concept called real talk. And I think that's what people are craving is mm. we need to actually have real conversations around what that meaning is and not assume that everyone's motivated by money and profits or everyone's motivated because I'm the executive and I say so, or everyone's yeah. motivated because this technology is so sexy and exciting. Yeah. When we have real talk, we understand the towards and away motivators of people, and then we're better able to align. So we help organizations extract this, not just from the executive, but also have those real conversations, which is often difficult to do if you are in a position of leader. And this is where the independence of having a good independent change support to help you alongside really becomes a good thing because mm. people often are a lot more comfortable having real talk with someone independent. Mm. Um, but also it removes our own unconscious biases around, around that. So absolutely, I think, I think we've got a lot to learn, but I think we can look back on all these great examples. And we're in an age now where, you know, we've got design thinking, we've got technology. Everybody these days has some form of a smartphone. Yeah. So why aren't we using this more? Yeah. And this is what we bring to the table is, is how can we 
put questions to organizations around change and co-create that change experience with people. Because one, we're seeing buy-in happens a lot up front. Two, we're seeing absolutely that there is a psychological safety immediately created by including people and asking them for their opinion. And whatever's decided, as long as there's this two-way communication, people then feel safe to go through that dark and scary ambiguity of space if you've included them on the journey and not just done change to them to at the end of a project. So this is where we're seeing a lot of success is those, those executives that are willing to have real talk or, or are willing to invest in people to facilitate that real talk yeah. to embracing design thinking, which really just means, you know, let's include the people we're designing this change for in the conversation yeah. and build that plan with them so we can extract that meaning and grow that meaning. And three, we all have collaborative technology and 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 thank you, pandemic, for, for making us even more acutely aware of this and embracing yes. it a lot more yeah. because we can now see sentiments of what people are thinking especially online, beyond unconscious bias, um, and include people's opinions where often they wouldn't speak up and would become resistors a little bit later on. Is that making sense? Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, I, I, can, I can see that in terms of, um, as you say, people who might not normally speak up, but when, you, when you're using technology to facilitate that, then that gives them a voice. And that sort of leads me into... The next question, which might be a bit of a curveball question because it wasn't on the ones that I sent through to you earlier, but what you mentioned about psychological safety, and I'm really curious mm -hmm. to um, hear your experience of the role that psychological safety is playing in successful change. What, what, what have you experienced? What are you seeing in terms of successes or otherwise. Hmm. I, I think this really relates nicely to a lot of the work I know you're quite famous for, Claire. And, um, you know, really, people have a lot of difficulty changing or even learning something new hmm. if we don't feel safe. And I think hmm. what's really interesting is, is these past two years, we've seen that in a very real hmm. way and how it can impact not just um, your ability to change, but also performance on the day to day. So psychological safety has been one of the key ingredients for us. And it's a lot easier to create the more human you are. So this is where we love using human-centered design is because it creates a safe environment where people can ideate without judgment, where people can give their opinions, even if we're not going to go to an opinion. I mean, I always believe, you know, a half-baked idea is always a really good starting point to go somewhere, but often we don't encourage that enough or we don't open the conversations up to multiple layers. So the second thing is making sure your employees and are feeling psychological safe also allows them to present you their perspectives. And a lot of the time they're closer to your clients and yeah. they're closer to your processes and they're closer to the communities within your organization and without and what they really say. So by creating psychological safety, we're, we're allowing people to have richer conversations. And instead of limiting the perspective to maybe a steering committee conversation or a board discussion and rolling change top down, we can now roll our change bottom up with yeah. opinions and top down and bring it all together. And at Earth to Mars, we call this radical change because um, when we start doing change upwards, downwards, sideways, empowered by human-centered design, people feel included. 
People yeah. feel like, oh my God, there's a challenge. And I'll give you a really good example. We had an amazing client and they got hit by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, okay, knee-jerk reaction. We're having financial difficulties. Let's get rid of people. You know, let's do a restructure. And, and Australia's famous for this. You know, oh my God, we have a business challenge restructure. <laughs> but what I said to them is I said, you know what? We've created so much psychological safety with your people using human-centered design to co-create a change strategy and to, to ask them how they want the change to go. What if we actually present this financial problem to them? and ask them to help us solve it with them. And I tell you, it was one of our biggest success stories because mm-hmm. what was amazing is we asked people and we didn't know, but there were enough people who were happy to work three days a week, be an Uber driver one day a week and look after their grandkids on a Friday. There were also enough younger people who had side hustles and art businesses yeah. on Instagram on the side. They were like, great. You know, I'm happy to do reduced hours and do the three days a week. And law of averages just worked out that they didn't have to get rid of anybody. So it's amazing the power of psychological safety and engaging in real talk with people using specific, not general, but specific HCD approaches within change to actually get that answer from them. And what's great is once you've got the answer, they're already bought into it because they came up with it. So they've created it. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. What a fabulous story. That's real empowerment. Totally, right? Wow. And often we assume that we as leaders have to make that call and it's tough. But sometimes we can, we don't have to think we're alone. We can actually... I always say all we need to do sometimes is just ask. Yes. <laughs> so we, do, we uh, you know, we talk about the changing face of, of leadership and how leadership now is, as, exactly as you said, it's become more democratized, it's more distributed, it's, it, it's more equally empowering. What about the changing face of change management? And, and, and for, for those listening maybe who are unsure about, well, what is the role? What is the role of a change manager? How have you seen change management evolve and what is the new face of change management? (laughs) I love it. And I'm glad you used the word change management um, because for us, I think many people have tried to define what change management is Mm. and many people have failed. And the reason is exactly because of what you said is as humans, we are constantly projecting meaning onto things. So, we refuse to even divine the term change management because what we've realized, you know, being in the space for so long is that it means so many different things to so many mm. different people. Yeah. And it's very contextual and unique to the agenda of the sponsor and the leaders, but also the organization and the clients they're serving. So we've elevated the discussion more into change leadership, which is less of a specialist role, but more of how the different parts of leadership come together whether that's governance, whether that's engagement, whether that's learning, whether that's communication. And all the different roles that are being played in it is we call that change leadership is how it all comes together. Whereas for us, the management was very much about, you know, the tools, the, the, the implementation. And we are finding that a lot more work needs to be done beforehand to ideate, to co-create that change with people. So yeah, for us, it depends who you're talking to. 
So okay. we, we, we let go of definitions and we're more interested in what change means for the clients we work with. Um, so a good example is, you know, if I'm talking to a CFO and I start talking about digital engagement and, oh, my God, look at these great PowerPoints we're designing and, oh, my God, our training's out of the world, they look at me <laughs> blankly. But when I ask them what change means for them, they say, oh, well, Andrew, you know, we're investing a lot of money into this change and, uh, you know, the technology is all covered. But really, we've got a huge people risk here that if people don't buy into this, we're going to lose a lot of money. So I just reframe that with the good, you know, that problem when and I say, well, look, that's what I do as a change leader. You know, that problem when you've got this big investment and there's a lot of risk around people embracing it so that you can get your return on investment. We yeah. solve that problem. We bring people and we manage and we lead that people risk to um, get them bought into it so that you can maximize your return on investment. And obviously, that conversation would change completely differently if it was a marketing person or a CEO or an HR director. So really, I think it's about us letting go of trying to have one academic sort of definition of what this is and really focus on the consulting and the service side here and make it human-centric. What does change mean to them? Link it to what's meaningful to them and then use the process of change to educate the entire business into how to roll this out with them. Absolutely. And and so with my next question, you might say to me, Claire, have you not listened to a word I've just said? <laughs> because what I wanted what I wanted to ask next is probably more from a global from more from a global or, or meta perspective, is that if there were if there were, I don't know, three three critical success factors to leading successful change. Which is why you might be saying, Claire, you haven't listened to it. <laughs> uh, but I still want to try and get nail you down to this. If there were three critical success factors or, or you know, people listening, they're thinking, gosh, they're listening to what you're saying. Think, oh, my God, where do I start? Because there's so much to, to consider here. And I, and, I, and I do want to lead successful change. <clears throat> what, might, what might those three critical success factors be? Oh, that's such a great question. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell a little story first and then hone in the three. Is that okay with I you? Love, I love, you know, um, we love stories. Yeah, we, we have a monthly event called Space for Change where we have global people. And I know you've spoken at one of our events, which was fabulous, all about the brain and change. But one of the stories we share to help make this more accessible to people was there's a great documentary on Netflix and it's all about black holes and um, I think the documentary, let me just look it up quick. Netflix, Edges of All We Know. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Even if you're not a space freak or a space nerd like me. What I loved about it is it really gives us a very concrete story to hang on the three critical success factors to lead change in this age. So I don't know if you know this, but a lot of, it's the first time in human history, we as a species have been able to take a picture of a black hole. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know much about black holes, that's true. We don't know much about them. It's very theoretical. It's very conceptual. We know they exist. We can measure these things, but it is a very, very complex thing to do, like a lot of changes we're facing. And it's huge. Black holes are massive relatively to Earth. So how the hell do we use a little telescope and do it? Now, what I loved is that documentary honed into some key three things which was instead of trying to do the typical old school leadership approach of trying to build this big, massive 
a huge telescope and camera to try capture this amazing thing. They realized that actually that's just their egos talking. (laughs) And what they realized is, hold on, we don't have an answer to this. But what if, and this is the vulnerability part, what if it's okay for us not to have the answers and for us to engage our global community of people that are passionate about space and are passionate and have technology and and telescopes at their own homes to go and view the moon. Now, we're talking about that type of community. And um, what I love about the documentary is Stephen Hawkins was involved in this. And he was the one who actually said, well, hey, guys, no, (laughs) let's not try to do this ourselves. Let's have real talk with our communities across the globe and put this question to them on how we might do it. And this is the joy of HCD that I love and, and leads to success. And what they found is they managed to have a system where they aligned every sort of person in their community and a whole bunch of volunteers across the globe. And as the world turned, each of them would face their telescope towards where they think the black hole is, and they would take a picture. (laughs) So it's almost like getting multiple perspectives from lots of different people, just like we do in changes, get perspectives from people. And what they did is they used AI and technology to then stitch that together. And we have an image now of a black hole. So how did they do this? Well, it's three clear things is get real, get vulnerable. We don't have to, as leaders, have to have all the answers, but really what our role is going, okay, well, if I don't have the answer, how might we find that with the people we have, with the communities we have? So number one for me is real talk. And if you are experiencing resistance as a leader, see it as engagement. If if somebody is feeling safe enough to express their view, encourage that because that's exactly what this leadership team did is they said, well, let's get real with people and say, we don't know the answer, (laughs) but we want to know from you and we're curious and we want to create that conversation. So real talk for us, non-negotiable. The second, human-centered design. I can't talk about how this transformed my entire career in change. I, I went from feeling like I needed to create tools and templates and have all the right answers to ideating with companies and helping them facilitate change. Whereas better ideas that I could have come up with myself or steering committees could have come and start emerging. Yeah. So design thinking is exactly what they use to take a picture of this thing. Is like, how can we include our communities in this mm-hmm. and find that answer? And the third is collaborative technology. I yeah. think I think businesses, and you don't have to go all the way, but we can utilize even technology as simple as Microsoft that's that's so pervasive in our organizations to collaborate, to ask, to survey, to create conversations, to measure sentiments. Because what we're really seeing is those sentiments and buying to change are the real drivers for on-the-job change and on-the-job performance, which changes your sales, your costs, your operational objectives at a higher level. So those would be my three is number one, real talk, get vulnerable, work with people and get support to have those conversations. Two, design thinking. This is the way we do change and we will continue to do change. And three, embrace collaborative technology because it's at our disposals as a human species. And if we use it with purpose and with meaning, we can drive incredible change going forward. Oh, fabulous. And that element of curiosity as well, you know, that with 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 the real talk, and 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 it's all of the factors. And you know, we know that, for, that change initiatives have been 
a lot of change initiatives have been falling over for many, many years. But then, you know, bringing in that that human centered design, that's what, what's going to impact hugely your success rates. And oh, oh, I could I could talk forever on this, but um, look, what I'll do sort of bringing bringing it all together. I, I just before we do, um, because I've I've experienced as I said earlier, I did your change diagnostics course. So not only are you working directly with clients in the change space, you're also helping to. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Imprint isn't the word, but you're bringing you're bringing your methodology and your philosophy and your um, your energy and your spirit into other people working in the change space. Can you so can you just share a little bit um, with us about about that side of what you do in helping to the, the ripple effect? <laughs> the ripple effect. I like that. The ripple effect in space time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. Really good question. Well. For us, we needed to get the results first. And what was interesting is you touched on how there is this perception that change projects fail. And, you know, we've been working in this market for really a long time now. And we've seen that perception and we got really tired of it. But what we started seeing is that, you know, in traditional clients, the way we used to roll our change, it would often take three to six months to really get an organization aligned around a change. But when we started using human-centered design specifically in our change methodology and philosophy as well, we started seeing that turn around very quickly. Yeah. And what used to take us three to six months on a big client now takes us, what, sometimes two to four weeks maximum to get an entire organization aligned around it. Now, coupled that with collaborative technology, it goes even faster. Now we're able to come in a client, get enough engagement and buy in around a strategy within anything like 48 hours to two weeks because technology certainly speeds it up but also shows the reality quicker. So we started seeing massive success across our clients and our clients started asking about, well, how do you do this? What's different? We've never seen change like this. So we've wrapped it up into our courses. Um, we, we certify change managers in firstly foundational human-centered design specific to change so that you can facilitate change uh, inclusively and diversely and dynamically. Um, we also certify people in advanced digital uh change engagement as well. So how do you use a plethora of tools if you're in a hybrid office or you Mm -hmm. are working remotely like us one day on Mars? Um, Mm -hmm. We give people that safe place. And I think the real differentiator for us is whilst we might touch on theory and concepts, the real focus is creating a safe space for people to really experience it for themselves and see those results themselves so they can take it to an organization. So we do, we run public courses where we certify individuals who are interested and we've seen project managers, uh, change managers, BAs, anyone involved in transformation, but we're starting to see a lot more leaders join because they're starting to realize their role and impact in the change. So leaders who are really serious at any level, who are really serious about growth, um, we do run public programs. And of course, we do this in-house because we often have internal change teams going or internal project teams going, hey, how do you do that cool stuff? Show us. And we love to build that capability within organizations. And by doing this, we're really hoping to bring in this new power way of doing change inclusively and create that ripple effect across the group um, through these programs. And, and I love that generosity of spirit and that, you know, that absolute knowledge sharing. The more we can get this out to 
to more people, the better. And, you know, I, for one minute, don't doubt that at some point in time, when both of you are still at working age, that you will have some sort of office on Mars. I'm just thinking, <laughs> about, I'm just thinking about the NBN, that it might need to be upgraded a little bit. That's okay. Where, where will you be, Claire? Will you be on Venus? <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we've got a good connection so we can keep doing these great podcasts. I'll probably be on Pluto. Pluto, um, lovely. Oh. <laughs> oh, Andrew, it's an absolute joy to be in conversation with you. There's so many golden nuggets that we can glean from this conversation. Um, a, a quick question. Uh, I, I think I know the answer, but anybody can join Space for Change group? I can put the details Absolutely. On so best way to connect with us is um, you can add myself or Hugo on LinkedIn, have a conversation, yeah. reach out directly. Our website is earthtomars.com.au. And uh, we have a very cool LinkedIn group. I, I know LinkedIn groups haven't had a good uh, reputation and marketing, but we really have a great collaboration and engagement in our group and it's growing and it's global so anyone can join us all you have to do is search for space for change um, and you'll see our little earth to mars and if it looks all spacey you're at the right place uh, request an invite and uh, we then hold monthly gatherings where our audience and our community votes for topics that are relevant to them in leading change and uh, we get amazing speakers like yourself to come and share in this conversation because it is an emerging conversation, but it is a conversation I think we need to continue talking about. I don't think we can hang our laurels on the, the academics not. of the past. Yeah. We're really keen to get pracademical. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. And, you know, and I know you're far too humble to say it, but the reason your LinkedIn group is so phenomenally successful is is what you invest what you put into that the energy the love the commitment the quality um that's why it's a thriving tribe uh yeah. well you thank know. you for saying that because i do i, 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 I said i mean it <laughs> yeah and i'm glad you mean it because you know i i share your enthusiasm and i think that's why you and i connect so much is, yeah. is because of our passion and our consistency and all of that but it really is i meant what i said earlier i think it's such an exciting time for people like you and I to be alive right now. So much is changing and change is at the forefront of this. And really the, the things you mentioned, like I always believe if someone gives me feedback, it's always a reflection of them. You are equally <laughs> passionate, <laughs> enthusiastic. But really, what if this is the key skill going into this post-tendemic world yeah. as technology, as robotics, as AI start becoming more and more pervasive in our lives? Yeah. Really, it's the human skills we need to go back to and polish up. And I know we're not saying it's rocket science, but we need to relearn these skills and get yeah. back to them. And it's about how we facilitate with energy. And really, it's about consistently. If we do that consistently, we're going to do amazing things because, you know, we deserve, we think everyone deserves a place in, in this new bright world. And um, I think leaders really have an amazing opportunity to make yeah. history right now and do the right thing and bring their hearts into what they do alongside with their minds and their instincts. And you're creating a space for that place. So I'll just finish maybe on one last pun. Andrew, thank you so much. And um, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> one of my favorites. Well, Claire, it's, I, I love chatting to you and looking forward to um, our next face-to-face catch-up, which I'm excited about. And yeah, I hope you and your listeners have an interstellar day and an intergalactic end to 2021. I can't beat that. Go away. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, bye, Andrew. All right. Bye. Great chatting. Thanks for listening. And we hope that this conversation provided some food for thought. If you enjoyed the podcast, please head over to Apple Tunes or Google Podcasts and give us a positive rating and write a short review. This is the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out to the community. Go well and stay safe.